It is lovely to see you all this morning. Now, it's fallen to me to talk this morning ahead of our Summer Sunday Express services. And next week, we'll be launching our Summer Sunday Express. And they're the shorter services that we have. And they're at a very different pace and a different tempo. And um, it's actually a really good opportunity for us to take a bit of time out in the summer, in the summer months, to come here to worship together and then rush off to the beach or do whatever else we're going to do. And I thought, actually, what are we going to do this morning to get into that sort of frame of mind that we're actually going to take time out, that we're actually going to be with a different pace and a different tempo? And I came up with this wonderful idea of looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, I thought it would be quite uplifting for us. So we'll see. So what I was thinking about really was that the summer is not only a time when we recharge, but we also reevaluate, don't we? I know I do. When I've got a bit of time carved out for myself, I actually get away a bit with the Lord and think, right, where am I at in my life and where am I going? And I think for many of us, we do that. And especially for the younger people here, you might have a very long holiday ahead of you. For the teachers that we've got in the room, you've got a lovely long holiday. And you'll be thinking, yeah, I'm going to set aside some time and I'm going to think what's going on in my life and how am I going to go going forward. You might be thinking about your career. You might be thinking about the next steps in education. You might, if you're retired, be thinking, actually, it seems all like one big long summer break. Actually, for many of you who are retired here, I know it isn't. That is not the case. I know that many of you are incredibly busy with all sorts of commitments. So maybe the summer's a time for you to look at those again and look at where your commitment lies. A time when we might be setting some new goals and some new challenges in our life. But I also want to add a note of caution because whilst we actually gather together each week and we have that different pace and that different tempo and we start to relax a bit into the summer holidays we can get towards the end of summer and has anybody ever felt this before you feel a kind of slump and a bit of a dread coming back on you do you ever feel it's a bit like that Sunday night feeling isn't it for those of you that have to get up early on a Monday morning and go to work do you ever feel that you feel "Mm, actually it's back to the same old same old And I don't know that I want to get out of bed on the Monday morning. So, as I said, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes. And I've asked Fraser to come up and read the introduction to us. It's from chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And I'm hoping that this will give us a little bit of a sort of uplifting kind of mood as he reads it to us this morning. You might like to open it in your own Bibles. If if you've got a church Bible, it's on 668-669 of the church Bibles. I'm okay, yeah. Ecclesiastes 1. These are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries round to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. 
Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we're never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here is something new. But actually, it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past and in future generations. No one will remember what we're doing now. Okay, so you might be thinking, well, why on earth has Rebecca picked this passage? What's encouraging about that? I'm going to tell you before I go any further, it could have been worse. I could have picked Job or Lamentations. But I assure you, I haven't picked this passage just to depress you. This thing's driving me up the wall. <laughs> I might in a minute. I'll, I'll, I'll persevere. Okay, what I want to do this morning is encourage us, whether we're changing schools, there'll be some of you here today who'll be changing schools or maybe just going into a different class or maybe thinking what next, and there'll be those of you in retirement who'll be looking for different challenges and everybody in between. I want to encourage all of you to take a step back and look at the big picture. I'm going to encourage all of us to look at the bigger picture. Now, I'm sure that not all of us are familiar with this passage. And some of you, especially if you're new to church or new to the faith, you won't even be familiar with Ecclesiastes. So I'm going to give us a little bit of context. So firstly, who's writing it? Does anybody know who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Mm, so many of you say Solomon. Everybody say Solomon? Well, when I looked into it, Actually, we don't know for sure. And I spoke to Age, and Age is pretty convinced it wasn't Solomon, actually. So that's an interesting one, isn't it? But when I looked into it, some theologians said, yes, it was Solomon, and others said no. So actually, Solomon or not, it doesn't matter. What we do know is that he was called the teacher. In Hebrew, it's the Koheleth. And actually, it means more than just a teacher. It's somebody who has got real pulling power, somebody who can gather a crowd around himself, who can assemble people, and who will actually impart all that's been given to him. So he's like a teacher or a preacher, a gatherer, an assembler. And we normally translate it as the teacher or preacher. We're also told in those opening lines that he's a son of David and a ruler of Jerusalem. So you can see why you may think it's Solomon. We would know that whoever it was would be a man of great status, of high standing. He would have had enormous wealth. He would have had great power. And actually, everything at that time that the world had to offer would have been at his fingertips. And this Koheleth, this teacher, preacher, was the one who's actually saying, right at the beginning of his address, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless which is a bit of a shocker, isn't it? It's a bit of an opening statement. But I wonder, is it a shock to us? This is somebody who has accomplished much, who has achieved much, and then he's claiming that none of it has any value and none of it has any meaning. So that's a little bit of context. But how, you might ask, is that relevant to me today? Well, I've asked Paul to come up now. I think Paul's going to ham it up in his reading for us a little bit as well. And he's going to read from the message version. So we get Peterson's modern rendering of these ponderings and this lament. 
These are the words of the quester, David's son and king in Jerusalem. Smoke, nothing but smoke, that's what the quester says. There's nothing to anything, it's all smoke. What's there to show for a lifetime of work? A lifetime of working your fingers to the bone. One generation goes its way, the next one arrives, but nothing changes. It's business as usual for old planet Earth. The sun comes up, the sun goes down, then does it again and again, the same old round. The wind blows south, the wind blows north, around and around and around it blows, blowing this way, then that, the whirling erratic wind. All the rivers flow into the sea, but the sea never fills up. The rivers keep flowing to the same old place and then start all over again. Everything's boring, utterly boring. No one can find any meaning in it, boring to the eye, boring to the ear. What was will be again. What happens will happen again. There's nothing new on this earth. Year after year, it's the same old thing. Does somebody call out, hey, this is new. Don't get excited. It's the same old story. Nobody remembers what happened yesterday. And the things that will happen tomorrow, nobody will remember them either. Don't count on being remembered. Thank you, Paul. You can see why I asked Paul to read that. Okay, now, that does bring it bang up to date, doesn't it? But actually, is it a passage that we expect to read in our Bibles? Our Bible is a book that we turn to for encouragement, isn't it? So often, we want to hear the wonderful truths of what Christ has done for us and done in our lives. Yeah, we're up for a bit of challenge, but hopelessness, apathy, nihilism, not really, are we? It doesn't really bring us much joy, that passage. Now, it's really interesting to note that back in the day, the Jewish teachers, the Jewish rabbis, they got together and they battled among one another over whether they'd actually include Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. And then later on, the early Christian church, when they came to bring the body of works together, they actually argued and argued amongst themselves. There was a lot of debate. There was a lot of contention over whether to even put Ecclesiastes in it was a real hot potato. And in a sense, I think that is unsurprising because including it, if you just read that, if that was the first book that you came to when you're reading your Bible, you'd feel pretty down, wouldn't you? But then on the other hand, I thought, well, that's a little bit rich. That is a bit rich because if that hadn't have been included and if all of the chapters and the books in the Bible that really challenged us and really could drag us down, weren't included, well, then we're engineering a message, aren't we? Man is engineering a message, and we're not giving a full breadth to the human condition and looking at all those areas that might challenge us. It would be a bit of a cop-out. And then I thought as well, well, actually, how many of us here don't always want to engage with those parts of Scripture that we do find hard? I know for me, it can be a challenge at times. There'll be things that I might shy away from. There'll be things, especially in the Old Testament, that offend me. I find really quite offensive at times. I have to get my head around them and wrangle with them and wrestle with them. Is that just me, or does anybody else feel like that? There are things that we find really hard, 
And sometimes, dare I say it, there's things that we read and they sow some doubt into our minds and we have to work through that with the Lord as well. Just being honest here. You know, over the many years that I have been reading the Bible, there are many things that have come to me that I might have shied away from in the past because I thought I can't look at that now. But I think there's seasons in our lives where the Lord says, actually, I want you to look at this. I want you to wrestle and grapple with it, and I want you to find some meaning from it. But it is one of those books, Ecclesiastes, that people will often shy away from. Now, for those of you who know me, you know that I run a women's group here on a Thursday morning. And we have a great time together where we get together and look at the words. And last term, the beginning of the term just gone, one of our group members suggested, much to Rachel's delight, that we look at the book of Ecclesiastes. <laughs> now, not all of us were super keen, I have to say. And my first reaction was to groan a little bit inwardly and think, oh, no, I'm leading this group. And I love to lead it when we've actually got something that can really get our teeth into, that will challenge us, yes, but that really uplifts us on an early Thursday morning before we then have coffee together. It's really great to feel uplifted. And I thought, hmm, yeah, I'm not sure that I want to spend my Thursday mornings grappling with all these bigger, bigger issues. So we voted on it. And the overwhelming consensus was, actually, let's do it together. And actually, I personally, and I think many others in the group, have found it really rewarding. Really, really rewarding. And actually really encouraging in many ways. And I think we've realized that the insights and the questions raised are actually not just ancient back then. They are actually very relevant to us today. And this morning, what we're going to do is pick out a couple of th themes from this introduction, and we're going to look at them together. And I just want to pause and pray now. So, Father, I just pause now, and I ask, Lord, as we focus on some of these words and we pull out some threads and some meaning, that you will help us to draw out meaning for ourselves from the meaninglessness, purpose from the purposelessness, and hope from the hopelessness. Lord, I pray that this message from the teacher will be like a springboard for each one of us. So we land on it and we actually spring off of it with a whole new insight and a whole new way of looking at our lives. I ask that in your name. Amen. So, yeah, my idea really is that it will spur us on this summer to look at those big questions of life squarely in the face. And what I want to challenge you all to do, I want to give you a bit of homework really, is to use the summer to yourself, for yourselves to read through Ecclesiastes. Now, it's only 12 chapters, and actually it's very beautifully and poetically written. It's a beautiful book in many, many ways. And I want to challenge you to look at it and almost give yourself a bit of a summer MOT. So anyone up for that? Yeah? Okay, I might check in September. Right. <laughs> we have a limited time this morning, though. So I'm going to focus on two main themes that the teacher is homing in on. Firstly, we're going to look at work, our work lives, or our active lives. And we're going to look at where we find weight and significance in that. And then we're going to move on to our leisure, or our downtime, if you like and where we find purpose and our pleasure in this regard. So I'm going to reread Ecclesiastes 1, 3 to 4, this time in the Amplified Version. And this is talking about the significance of our work. 
the teacher says this, what profit does man have left from all his toil at which he toils under the sun? Is life worth living? One generation goes and another generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Anyone ever felt like that in your worst times? What is the point? What is the point? Why have I got up this morning? You know, sometimes we can feel that before we've even got out of bed. And I think many of us, most of us, in fact, spend the largest portion of our waking lives either in education, in training, or working. Many of us are in paid employment, some in unpaid employment, volunteering. We may be working inside or outside the home. We may be raising a family in a caring role. Or we may be doing a bit of everything. A lot of us have a huge amount on our plates, and we're trying to spin those plates. And often they can get a bit broken in the process. And so how many of us then feel a little overwhelmed? Do we arrive maybe at the summer or whenever we're having our holiday and feel absolutely wrung out, stressed, overworked? Do we feel like our everyday life is just a big to-do list? That can happen, can't it? I get to that stage sometimes when I've got this to-do list and I've crossed off one thing and then immediately there's another or another two or three things. And you feel like you're just on a wheel chasing round and round and round. I think to complicate matters, and I know you'll all resonate with this, actually we're increasingly contactable, aren't we? with messaging and WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger, let alone the postal service and the normal telephone, you feel like somebody can get hold of you at any time of the day or night. And actually, we're all learning, having to learn new skills in that area, I believe, because unless we really get to grips with that, and I'm a work in progress on this, <laughs> unless we really get to grips with it, we find that our work lives, our active lives, and our family, and our leisure, and our downtime just become so bound up in each other, and the lines are so blurred that we don't know whether we're coming or going half the time. And actually, from my experience in my role here, and um, as a friend to many people, I know that is a really common feeling, that we can all get to that stage. It doesn't matter what our job is, what our role is, where we see ourselves in the pecking order of life, we can all get to that stage where we feel wrung out, and we feel there is no end to our doing. And that no matter how much we do, it's never going to be enough. And then we hit that point when we think, do you know what? If I stepped out of this, I'm actually replaceable. I'm not indispensable. I'm dispensable. And things will carry on without me. But actually, you can feel so, so wrung out in the process. You know, even when you come to preparing a message like I did this morning... Often, my point of reference when I first come is to think, right, what have I been doing lately? Where's the Lord been speaking to me? And then I'll kind of think, well, maybe he's got something to say to others through what he's been saying to me. And then I'll go away and think about it. But often, I don't always include God in that. I'll think, where have you been speaking to me? But then I don't bring him with me into it, if you like. So I think, right, how can I put a really good message together? Something that's going to inspire but then I kind of go over to the bit, and, and how am I going to make it a bit entertaining? And what anecdotes can I tell that's going to make people laugh? And, and actually, what are they going to think of me get bringing this message? And you go into that whole thing of actually me, me, me. This is what I want to bring. 
And it is only when I then think, actually, Lord, what do you want to bring, that I actually get a bit of a download of what he wants to say. Because there's a block until that point, isn't there? It's only when actually whatever I want to bring to you of a morning is actually Holy Spirit-focused, Jesus-focused, that I actually can feel confident that no matter what I bring, he will be talking even if it's just through the one or two of you. And actually, therein lies my point. That's my reminder to myself and to us. We're only ever going to find ongoing motivation and the drive to sustain whatever we're doing in our roles, whatever our role is here on earth. We're only going to find that if we do put God at the center of it, if we include Jesus, if we take him with us on that journey and we allow it to be guided by the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, we have some very good reminders of this about what activity and work and our role means. And um, the Apostle Paul is very good at helping us with this. I'm going to read a couple of things that he says to you. In Colossians 3:23, he says this. He says, put your heart and soul into every activity that you do, as though you are doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. I'm going to read that again. And think of it in whatever context you feel your primary, your secondary role is. Put your heart and soul into every activity you do, as though you are doing it for the Lord himself and not merely for others. It's about a love sacrifice for other people, but primarily for God. Whatever we are doing, whatever he has called us to do, whatever role we have is a love sacrifice. And then in Acts 20, 35, he says this, I've left you an example of how you should serve and take care of those who are weak. For we must always cherish the words of our Lord Jesus, who taught giving brings a far greater blessing than receiving. Here again, he's saying it's about service. And Jesus taught us that. And he's also saying there's more to your service. Not only as you give are you blessing others, you will be blessed yourself. And this is one I'm sure many of us are familiar with and um, we hold on to in the times where it seems tough and hard. This is what Jesus promises in all areas of our lives, of our active and our passive lives, if we'll only come to him. It's from Matthew 11, and I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation. Maybe close your eyes for this one, for those of you who are feeling a bit weary and a bit tired. Close your eyes, but don't go to sleep. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, and easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me. For all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. That's beautiful, isn't it? Oasis. I love that translation. He is our oasis. And I think that is the same for all of us. And that is even in the roles that we feel we're no longer fitting into. I do feel that as I was preparing this, um, I had a word for at least a couple of people here. 
and it's for people that feel where they're at at the moment in whatever their active role is, that they feel a bit disengaged and they feel a little bit as if they're pulling away, like a, a bit of a square peg in a round hole, if you like, and actually it's time maybe to move on. It may be even that you're feeling quite distressed in that role and you can't see a way out of it. I felt he was saying that there's some even that feel almost a bit bullied or a bit downtrodden and unappreciated. And this is the word for you. Of course, he said, are you weary carrying a heavy burden? He'll be there. But this is the word that he really wants you to hear this morning. If you are in that place, your response to what is going on around you dictates whether others will see Jesus in you. And he is giving quite a clear directive, I think, that if you feel in that place, whether it's in a caring role, in a work role, that actually it's really important to resist any overly moaning about it, backbiting, gossiping, sniping, taking it elsewhere, actually taking it to him. Because actually how we respond to those situations, others watch us and they can see Jesus reflected in us or not. And I feel it's quite a directive word for some people here today. He's saying, you might be going through it, but don't stoop to an unholy or an undignified level in how you respond to it. But he's not saying you've got to do it on your own. And he's not saying be a doormat. He's saying, I will get you out of that place. I will be there for you to sustain you whilst you're in it. But I want you to honor me in that circumstance. So if that speaks to you in particular, I'd love to pray with you afterwards. I'd love to hear that it's spoken to you. And I'd really love to pray into that with you. But for all of us, no matter where we are with our activity, our role, our work, it's just a reminder to actually put God in the center again, isn't it? And to look at him in all that we're doing. Okay, I'm going to leave the work bit behind for now. And I'm going to look at where else we search for meaning. And often, for us in the West here, we've got it quite comfortable on the whole, haven't we, compared to others. And we will often look in experience and consumption. I want to reread to you Ecclesiastes 8.10. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Sometimes people say, here's something new, but actually it is old and nothing is ever truly new. Ever felt like that either? Sometimes we really long for things. We really look forward to things, don't we? And then when we get them, yeah, we could be really satisfied with them. We could be really, really happy. But it's quite fleeting in the scheme of things. We kind of have highs and lows of enjoying things. And actually, as I said, there's a lot that we can access for experience and for pleasure in this world. And in many ways, it's very good. If it's wholesome, it's actually really beneficial for us. It's good to take time out, find those things that we enjoy doing, consume those things that are good for us. That is very, very beneficial to our physical and our mental well-being. But even those healthiest of pleasures and experiences, they fail 
I believe, and I'm sure you find for yourself, to fulfill at the deepest, deepest level. There's always going to be a spiritual void if we just rely on those things. And if you go away and you read all of Ecclesiastes this summer, you'll see that the teacher does this. He actually samples so much. He samples lots of alcohol. He has a merry old time with that. He, what else does he do? He acquires lots of property. He becomes a bit of a property magnet. He acquires lots of things of beauty and value, lots of art and lots of artifacts. He has lots of sex. He has a whole harem of women. Again, that's another bit of scripture that might offend me. But there you go. Food. He loves food. Tries a lot of that as well. And he, being wealthy, would have had all of these things at his fingertips. But what does he conclude? We go back to the opening verses. It's meaningless. It's wearisome. It's unsatisfying. It's meaningless. So, I just want to draw our attention to that word, meaningless. Now, that is actually translated from the Hebrew word, hebel. And in different translations, it's interpreted in different ways. So, we've read it in the NLT and the NIV this morning as meaningless. In the message, Paul read it as smoke. And in some other translations, it's translated as vanity. Literally, the Hebrew word means vapor. It's something that you can't quite grab hold of. You can't quite grasp. It's like ethereal. It's fleeting. It's insubstantial. And that word, Hebel, is the dominant word in the whole of Ecclesiastes. It's used almost 40 times in 12 chapters. So the preacher here, the teacher, really wants to drive that point home. Everything he has tried is like vapor. He can't quite grab hold of it. So if you're thinking of indulging in all of those things this summer, don't bother. It's meaningless. So what's the antidote? There must be an antidote, mustn't there? Of course there is. Does the teacher offer those of him who are assembled and gathered all around him, does he offer them any hope at all? Again, go away and read Ecclesiastes, and you'll get little clues and little glimpses because he's not just going to leave those assembled hanging. And actually, once you've read it, like me and like our um, women's group, you'll discover that he's not just a cynic and a pessimist. He doesn't just want to put a dampener on things. He's actually just a very deep thinker. He's a philosopher. He's a seeker. He's an explorer. He's a delver. And he just wants to challenge and say, actually, there's so much more than what we have here on earth. I think the clearest glimpse, in fact, it's not even a glimpse, it's pretty obvious. The clearest for me is in Ecclesiastes 3.11. And I have to say, this is one of my very favorite verses anyway in the whole of the Bible. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified. You can look at it yourself in the NIV. That's okay. (laughs) Okay, so I'm going to read Ecclesiastes 3.11. He, God, has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend or grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to the end. 
And the reason I love that is it's so clear. There is so much more. So much more than this transient world. But more than that, he is promising that he has put those seeds of eternity and that recognition that there is divine purpose into every single heart. And that always encourages me because for those that I love who don't know the Lord, for those who are around me that I worry about and I pray for, I think actually God has put that in their hearts. They know deep down this isn't all there is. And there will be a point in time when they will face God and they will know that for themselves really, truly, deeply that he's real and that he is the more. And I love that. It's a real comfort. And I think for us in a world that does seem in so many ways shallow, doesn't it, and superficial, if we hold on to that and we hold on to the fact that he has placed that sense of divine purpose in everybody's heart, then it gives us greater hope, gives us greater hope for our future. And it reminds us as well to really sense that in others, those that find their way in through our doors, but those that are out there as well. If you come across people in your daily life that you know are sensing a void, that you know are looking for something else, it spurs us on to actually call that up out of them, that divine purpose that is deep within them, to call it up and to ask the Lord to bring that to the surface. And I just encourage you in that to really pray for them, really lift them up and be prepared to go through those hard questions and those bigger questions of life with them. So it's a bit more homework for the summer. Okay. I'm just going to finish by saying that actually for those of us here who are believers that know Jesus intimately, actually there's always more. There's always more we can know. There are depths that we can plummet with him because we know that even though he will satisfy that deep hunger, we still find ourselves getting a bit hungry here, a bit hungry there. And actually, we find it hard to fill our lives sometimes when we just become focused on the activity and the role and the pleasure and the experience. So we need to keep coming back and developing that intimacy with him. And maybe if we spend the summer thinking about that, when we come back in the autumn together, we'll all be raring to go. We'll have a new perspective. We'll be thinking of the eternal, not just the here and now. And we may not feel like we're on that, like that hamster on a wheel. We may actually start to feel actually we're on a trajectory. And that's my prayer for us this morning. So do pray with me now. Father, I thank you that you are meaning. You are the only true meaning. I ask, Lord, for those of us here who don't really know you in the way that we'd like to, that we'll understand a little more of who you are today. I ask, Lord, for those who feel that you had a word for them earlier, Lord, that they won't just let it sit, that they'll actively work with you on that one. And I ask for each of us, Lord, that we find a time to pause this summer at different junctures of our summer and we reflect and we allow you to make substance from the vapor, something solid from the smoke and that you remind us and you assure us and you affirm us in knowing that life is not meaningless for us 
because we have that eternal meaning with you and that eternal perspective. I ask particularly, Lord, for anybody who's come in this morning feeling an emptiness, that they will see that you are the answer, that you can fill that void. I just ask now for that, Lord. I ask especially for all our younger people, those who have decisions to make about their futures, what they'll do education-wise, career-wise, whatever you have for them, Lord, I pray that you will infuse it with your sense of purpose for them, that they will find their identity in choosing the way forward with you. And we are jealous for them, Lord, especially those who are just coming towards the end of their studies, Lord. I just pray that you will give them great direction and great purpose. We want, Lord, for all of us, from the youngest to the oldest, to be a people who are purpose-driven and Jesus-focused. So, Lord, have your way with us now. As we come to worship, I pray you speak to us. I pray you help us to engage with our spirits, with yours. And I pray that each one of us will leave here feeling a deeper meaning than when we came in. In your name, amen.